Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Thanks so much for tuning in to Web3 with me. It is our mission here to educate, and we realize that some basics of Web3, like WTF is a digital wallet, might be helpful for you to know. We will be releasing a series of short videos on YouTube and Reels to help cover these high-level topics. We hope they're useful for us, and feel free to leave us feedback. My guest today is Brandon Martinez. He is a veteran entrepreneur, having previously founded music startup Indie Music, most known for working behind the scenes of the 2013 viral meme, Harlem Shake. Martinez sold that business to Live Nation in 2016 and went on to run their YouTube business for the next three years. Martinez has participated in Snapchat's Yellow Accelerator, Transparent Collective, First Round Fast Track, On Deck Founder Fellowship, and is a member of Friends with Benefits. He is currently building Sneakerhood, an NFT-based playground for sneakerheads and their kicks, and Flowscore, a ranking and token-based rewards platform for the best projects on the Flow blockchain. LFG, baby, let's start vibing. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, I've been super excited about this talk. Uh, I was uh, actually taking my kid to school this morning. And I was like, man, I could talk to Brandon today. Because <laughs> after our first conversation, I was like, we we got a good thinker here and your experience is awesome. Um, so I always like to start these podcasts with uh, giving the audience an idea of what makes Brandon Brandon. I call it your founding story. Um, so feel free to start wherever you want. Could be Web3, it could be way before that because I know you got a lot of other valuable experience. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I know you enjoyed the, the full story, so I'll try and condense it last time we talked. But, um, you know, I started my career as a talent agent. Um, actually, I started in the mailroom because uh, that's a that's a place in Hollywood where you're supposed to start off. At least it used to be literally a book called The Mailroom. And it says, like, this is where you learn about the industry. Um, I kind of got my degree in film and thought I'd be a big Hollywood filmmaker, Hollywood director. And um Figured out really quickly, there's a lot of creatives in Hollywood, and um, I'm one of the few that actually has a good sense for business. I can read a contract and um, uh, just kind of stumbled into an opportunity there. I had a really amazing boss um, who's still a great mentor. And, um, you know, so we had talked about this. This was like uh, late 2006, early 2007, um, sometime around that timeline when the writer's strike was happening. And so, Literally all my friends around me were getting fired and, um, uh, you know, as part of us, part of alternative programming, which is sort of like reality television back in the day, um, which is unscripted. And so we uh, <laughs> we we stayed and we had we were doing really good business. And so, you know, through that is then when I sort of identified that um, 
this new media, you know, web, uh, you know, web television thing was sort of happening um, and found an opportunity there. And so, um, again, pitched my boss. Uh, he was really big on on the idea, saw an opportunity as well and um, kind of shepherded me through that process. And so inside of about a year or so, I think I actually got promoted to be an agent, was, was selling some early uh, web series deals and representing early YouTubers and things like that. Um, eventually he left and, and I kind of spun out uh, new media or digital media into my own department and then ran that for a couple of years. And that's kind of how I met my first investors for my first business. Um, uh, Alan Debevoise, who was CEO and chairman of Machinima um, and Guy Osiri, Madonna's longtime manager, U2's manager, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and with them and another partner formed um, my first business, uh, Indie Music, which was a music rights administration business. Uh, we essentially helped YouTubers make money uh, or make helped musicians make money on YouTube. Um, you know, we're most known for being behind the scenes of Harlem Shake in 2013. Uh, that's what most people know us for. So. Uh, worked with a lot of amazing artists and labels over the five or so years that I ran the business. Uh, sold that to Live Nation in 2016 and then ran their global YouTube business from there. Um, so now I got to expand out to working with more of like the festivals and um, uh, other sort of like internal brands on like their strategy and, and uh, you know, YouTube content that they were creating and things like that. Um, really amazing experience, but realized pretty quickly that uh, corporate life is just not for me. Um, and just really wanted to get back to being an entrepreneur. And so that's when I started on this current venture with uh, with Sneakerhood and now also with Flowscore um, and going from there. So I'm happy to keep going if you want me to. No, I actually do. I want to, I want to pause for a second because I like to highlight the experience that you gained along the way. It sounds like um, you had aspirations as many do going to Hollywood to become a, more or less a creative, right? And start to create films, but quickly found that you you had a, a good business sense um, and became somewhat of an entrepreneur, right? Uh, at at like this, that. yeah, early on. And so like, what was your mindset then? Was there someone that was, you know, guiding you along the way or was there something about it that just kind of drew you in? Was there a framework that you picked up or something like that? I wish, man. So this is again, when I started that first business is uh, 2012, I guess is, is around the time when I started, you know, thinking about it. And, um, you know, this is before there was like Silicon Beach or whatever we're calling it out in LA these days. Um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody when I went to Hollywood. I didn't know anybody when I went uh, into being an, an entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Um, I didn't know anything. I just, I guess, I guess I have a, a gut feeling and it's a, it's a right time. Same thing about just becoming a, a digital talent agent. I was one of the first. And, you know, part of that is when you're the only guy in a suit, you know, around surrounded by a bunch of creatives, people just start kind of coming to you and you realize that, okay, there's an opportunity here for me to kind of like, shepherd this group and figure out what the next steps are and, and i think i'm really good at that at like figuring out where the puzzle pieces go i always love to kind of take a take a you know thirty thousand foot level and and look at the problem and kind of then work away at what the solution can be from there basically so um and, it, and i think that's that's my career is i kind of just follow my gut follow my intuition um i've got a pretty i think decent sense of kind of figuring that out um, and then just, and really good at also networking. I think relationships are a big part of this. You and I met because of a relationship that we both have, right? Um, that's a massive part of it is, is 
not just meeting people, but but checking in along the way as well and, and supporting one another as you go. Like that's deeply, deeply important to me as well. So um, yeah, those are probably the biggest learnings that kind of helped push me this far. Yeah, it sounds like what's inherent in that is uh, maybe not quite an empath. Uh, I don't know if you would describe yourself as that, but it sounds like you understand people uh, and, and you understand that ultimately, if you are able to push a goal forward, uh, you've got the pieces, right? And if you can convince people to come on board with you, which it sounds like you are pretty persuasive, one of the things that, that drew me into you when we met the first time was your ability to wrap a narrative around what you're doing, right? I mean, we're all storytelling every single day. We tell stories to ourselves, right? And how good those stories are depend on, like the outcome largely depends on that. So yeah, it's cool. The storytelling is is a, a part of the the puzzle pieces, right? It's got to make sense. So if you're sitting there trying to jam the wrong piece into the puzzle, it's it's going to look off. Even even if it's even if it's kind of close, it's not going to be it's not going to be the complete story. And you know when it's off. And I think that that goes to whether you're you're talking to a potential client or you are just talking to a potential new friend about like why you're an interesting person, right? If if something just seems off with you as a person, people pick up on that, right? And and I think that um. There's a deeper level of that. It's funny that you mentioned sort of like the empath sort of thing as I have this conversation uh, with a friend um, a while ago and it, it kind of keeps resonating with me of like, you know, when you enter a conversation and sometimes for whatever reason, it, you either kind of immediately vibe or you or something's kind of off. Right. And you you kind of look at somebody. Not everybody does this, but you you kind of say, look, OK, I'm at this level. And it could also just because like you had a really bad day or you had a really great day. And you're just like, OK, th- but this person's here. Maybe you got to a party three or four hours in and everybody's kind of hammered already, right? <laughs> I can't have this deep conversation right now when everyone's like barely functioning, you know, with their motor skills and things like that. So, uh, but it, but that, I think that applies to like everyday life as well. And if you look at that, of just like, okay, how deep can I go with this person? Am I going to overwhelm this person? Um, or do they really understand what I'm saying? And you have to be able to like read that those sort of emotions even while you're doing the storytelling as well so it's it's live storytelling is also a big what part of what it is actually you know of um especially like during during pitch mode i, I tell a lot of my friends and my fiance this it's sort of like a 30 minute one act play that you just do over and over and over and over you know sometimes five six seven times a day and you know where you've got maybe five minutes in between each break before you go and do it again and you may have just had your heart broken um, you know, five minutes, you know, 30 minutes before, uh, and you have to just, yeah, <laughs> just, just put the game face back on, go back into the mode, but you're also pausing for questions and confusion and laughter. And it's, it's all part of it. It's all part of the storytelling. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, making it sound much more difficult than it probably is. Most people listening are probably like, oh, whatever, dude, but, um, it's part of the job. I, and I actually do enjoy that part of the job as well. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I don't think it's immediately obvious to people that don't do it. And I think that's why some people may be like, what is he talking about? But in reality, when you're going through like life is about sales. I mean, people don't like to admit that, but it's about selling yourself, selling your story Absolutely. and telling it in a, in a compelling way. And I kept thinking when you were, <laughs> when you were going through act one <laughs> or, or when you're reading people, <laughs> I kept thinking, I was at my curriculum night for my kid's school yesterday and I like, walked in a conversation and I was like, I'm just going to step in here awkwardly. What's going on? And everybody's like, <laughs> And, and for those that can't see me, my, my mouth dropped. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to step back out. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> the vibe here, it's not you there. That. You just have to understand 
the impact that's that's going to happen, sort of what you're doing when you do that, um, all of that plays a part, right? So, uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's definitely possible to do that, but then you got to be able to like also pick up and 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 start jamming with the conversation right there. So it's like you just it's like like double dutch, right? You're just jumping into the flow. <laughs> is there um, any? Is this something that has come natural to you, or is this something that you have studied uh, in in terms of the the ability to to tell stories and, and wrap narratives around uh, your ideas? I definitely wouldn't say studied <laughs> by any means. Um, I uh, I think I'm hyper aware of it for sure. Um, yeah. It's definitely something that I've watched. My parents do in their various, you know, roles, uh, watch friends do watch. I've had some really great mentors sort of along the way. And just knowing that I think the biggest thing, and we may have talked about this before, but is finding a path of success that, that you ultimately uh, subscribe to, right? Like you're like, okay, this, this looks cool, right? Even if it's not the path, but you like the ending, you're like, okay, I want to be LeBron James. I want to be, uh, uh, I was going to say Will Smith, but um, yeah, whatever. So, somebody that's really successful. Yeah. And then, then you start to, if you really want to break it down, you're like, okay, how did that person get to this level? So I think it's, it's that is probably what I've done more of is, is following people's paths and then realize that, you know, you can do that live as well. Like we just kind of said, it's kind of like understanding people or even um, sort of placing them into different archetypes, not stereotypes by any means, because people are very complex and everyone's very different. And I think if nothing else, COVID man has definitely taught me how much baggage, good or good or bad people bring um, uh, to every situation. Um, and then also just giving space for that, right? Of like, okay, maybe even coming in and having an idea or a couple different ideas of like, who somebody is or what a situation is going to be like, but being flexible enough to, to, to change that up as you go through of like, again, there have been investors that I've talked to and, and it's, it's just stone cold, not reading anything, you know, and, and suddenly then they've got a ton of questions at the end. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like the one, the com the pitches that I think went the absolute worst are the ones who are actually invest and the ones that I was like, oh man, I just killed that. I never hear from again, you know, so, <laughs> um, you gotta, you gotta also then reflect afterwards and say, okay, what, did, what went well here? What didn't go well? What, what followed sort of this, uh, these expectations that I had, these hypotheses and, um, how do I adjust for the, for the next one, you know? Yeah, it sounds just like a classic science experiment in some sense of the word, right? Like you're like you're going in with like a thesis or a hypothesis. Uh, you are catering your you know talk or your pitch to that hypothesis, and then afterwards, if things didn't go as expected, you're going back and you're troubleshooting, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and it makes you better the next time. It's learning by experience. Yeah, and I, I'd say that's the biggest part of it too, right? Is is also the research, right? That's the first part before you even make a hypothesis. That's what you do is you want to make an educate. That's what a hypothesis is, right? An educated guess. So research, therefore, would be you're talking to an investor. Uh, obviously, like you know, listen to some of what you've done before. You know, before you go into any situation, the more info you have, even even if you're getting set up on a blind date or uh, if you're in a relationship and you're having to meet the the uh, you know your your uh, girlfriend's girlfriend's boyfriend you know type of thing you know yeah. um you want to know a little bit okay who are these people like what do we have in common what can we talk about all that stuff so, so the research and and yeah there's all part of the storytelling that we're talking about but um yeah yeah i'm ta i'm taking that in my head over to like meeting like 
my son's friend's parents. I'm just exactly. like, yeah. oh, all right, are we going to do this again? Because if we're going to do it again. <laughs> oh, man, that's a whole other level of friendship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like forced friendship. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, let's switch gears, man. We, we, uh, we got up to the point of Web3. Uh, let's talk about your kind of uh, history with Web3, your inflection point where you were introduced to it, and then we can start getting into your various ventures that you're you're doing now. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, it, it really starts, like I said, where, where we left off before was, was sort of the, the foundation, the formation of sneakerhood, which really started as, for those on video, I have a lot of sneakers behind me. These are uh, all my sneakers. Um, I actually just cataloged them over the weekend. I've got 235 in case that question wanted to come up. Uh, way less than I thought that I had. So I'm just like, oh, man. You see there's a hole behind me on, on this side. Um, <laughs> I started cleaning out some stuff I don't wear, and i got to go buy more. It was, uh, it was no. a great weekend for me. you got at uh, least six pairs you can fit up there. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, so, many, so many more. Um, so, yeah, it really started for me. I'm a, I'm a big uh, sneakerhead, uh, have been for more than a decade now. And so it really started with, you know, what's the next iteration? What's the next generation of, of sneaker collecting really look like? Um, so building communities for sneakerheads, basically. Um, I built an early prototype, uh, got into Snapchat, uh, previously had an accelerator program, just ended uh, because of this current downturn, um, but called Yellow. So I was in the second cohort of that. It was about summer of 2019. Um, that was really the first kind of start to the business. and, and um, uh, was working on an early version of the product and so launched that while I was a part of that cohort. Um, learned a lot, really amazing experience. Um, got to meet a lot of the Snap team and, and how they think and, and uh, really incredible experience, like I said. Um, but really just that product that I had built just really wasn't it. It was, it was web-based at the time. Um, it also was... Um, uh, just didn't have the right team on board either. And so we, um, when I got out of that program about the end of that year, um, kind of just looked for for a hard refresh, basically. So that's when my now co-founder, um, Stefan, came on and joined. Uh, he's a creative director in the city. He really just brought this amazing creative direction to what we're doing. Um, he, he used to live down the street from me, so I thought we were literally like taking our dogs for a walk, and he comes over with this giant pad of paper and is just like, all right, what are we doing with this business, basically? And so we just really leaned in, which is exactly what I needed. Um uh, my CTO as well is a friend of mine that I, I used to play basketball with here in Brooklyn. He had since moved out to uh, the Philippines to uh, go work for Google, uh, left to go start a couple companies of his own, one of which was the largest live gaming app in Southeast Asia, um, and which he sold just before COVID hit. So we had this amazing dev team just kind of sitting around looking for cool projects to work on. So uh, timing just, just really worked out for us, basically. So we put out a uh, new version of the app. Um, spring of 2021, I believe, something around there. Um, so right as sort of like um, NFTs were, were really starting to take off and really just saw this opportunity with Web3, not just with NFTs specifically, but Web3 as a whole, the technology, having this, this ownership um, you know, opportunity um, and connectivity to bring our community together that we were really looking for, basically. So um, you know, the, the app at its core is really about allowing people to take in that, that behavior of taking a photo of your sneakers, but now turning it into something that the, a digital collectible is what we were initially calling it. Um, so adding an AI art filter on top of it. So now your photo also looks like a Frida Kahlo, a Warhol, a Basquiat, something like that. So it adds another level. So um, it's really accessible as well, right? So for somebody like me that has no creative ability whatsoever, I think I look like a genius because um, now I've created this incredible artwork from my sneakers. 
basically. Um, from there, our goal, you know, as we sort of really started to, to dig in was, was to allow people to then, um, uh, again, taking that behavior of sort of flexing on other people in the community to then battle those digital collectibles, um, whether ones that you've created or ones that you've purchased from other users against one another um, in like a sneaker battle, head to head sort of style, basically. Um, yeah, so so I guess uh, you know around this time, you know, we were just kind of when we were kind of formulating all of our ideas, fig figuring out what was going to be next for us. I really liked the idea of of flow, uh, the blockchain flow. Um, saw uh, this company Genies, uh, which had raised twenty or thirty million dollars at that point, completely rebuild their platform from Ethereum over to uh, Flow, and I was like, okay, something really interesting is happening here, and so. Um, kind of just kept talking about it. Again, our, our audience is also very mainstream. And so I really love their idea of blockchain for the mainstream as well. And so one of our now current investors finally said, hey, do you want to meet Roham? And I said, absolutely. And um, he really- For the audience, who's Roham? Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, you should know who Roham is. He's just at Roham on, on Twitter um, and everywhere else. Uh, Roham uh, is the CEO and one of the founders of uh, Dapper Labs, which is the parent company uh, flow, uh, the, the blockchain and uh, NBA Top Shot is their product that you're you're probably most uh, is most well known for on on flow as well. Um, so Roham is very well known um, in and around the industry. He's invested in a ton of companies as well as own personal money. Um, now he's formed a, a fund around that as well. Um, really just a big mover and shaker in the space as well. So when I got connected to Roham and his team, they really just echoed back all the all the really great things that we'd heard about them. And I was like, all right, this is definitely the change for us, basically. So um, that's kind of why we started started building on there. So we we started with a PFP, which is what we minted in uh, in May, um, and and then the crypto market sort of fell down around us. Uh, literally, we minted the week of Terra and Luna, and the broader market sort of collapsing around us. So. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll pause there as another point for some questioning and things. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig into, I mean, I understand the sneakerhead community is massive. I'm not a member of it. Um, but I think I share with you, I'm kind of a voyeur. I, uh, downloaded StockX, Goat, uh, and a few other apps and I just kind of look at it cause it's so interesting to see how active the market is, but I want to like break down how you were growing at that point. How are you reaching these people? Uh, and how are how are you scaling kind of like your marketing around this? That'd be really interesting to hear. Yeah, so I'm I'm always the, probably the biggest believer in just being an active part of your community. I, I think that authenticity, especially in sneakers, is a really big part of it, um, especially because of the growth of the resale apps. It's really easy for anybody to just buy into the community. I mean, you've seen like with, with Christie's and Sotheby's, right? You can literally buy a million dollar collection if you have the money and it's going to be amazing stuff, right? Um, you can even buy fractionally into, you know, a Jordan one or something like that these days. Like there's all kinds of ways to, to, to be a voyeur and not specifically inside the community and, and kind of find your way in basically. Um, I think that's become easier and easier. And so what we kind of saw is like with that, with more and more people coming into the community, I think that that the culture and um, uh, the identity uh, of sneakerheads was was really changing, and so that was really important for us to um, to really try and maintain. And so, like I said, authenticity was the biggest part of it. I've I've been a big part of these communities, uh, definitely more less of a like sharing of like my collection. I think a lot of people are really surprised when they hear about some of the different things that I have. Mm -hmm. But therefore, but when I share some of these things, are really deep. They're they're Japan only releases or. Um, 
just really in the know sort of sort of pieces in a collection. Like I'm not, it's not all just Jordan ones that came out within the past couple of years, right? Um, I think my oldest pair might be a pair of like uh, infrared um, Air Max 90s, which is my favorite, right? my favorite sneaker of all time. I have a couple pairs of them um, uh, that's from like, I don't know, 2000 or something like that, basically. So, so were you were you just out in your Discord or out on Twitter? Just or where were you? telling yeah. people how authentic you were and showing this off. How were you, how are you rallying people around you as an individual? Everywhere. So, so we were, we were building up our community. Um, initially first it was, you know, we started on the web two side, right? Just building out our app. And so what you would do there. So we did everything from running snap ads um, to um, just me, like really being a face, a representative of, of the, of the app and the, and the business um, saying like, look, we come from sneakers, you know, we're a part of this. Um, I'm, I'm black and Hispanic. Like I'm, I'm a real part of this community basically um, as, as, as Virgil Abloh would say, he has this, this thesis around tourists versus purists. And so like, I'm a purist, I'm a collector, right? I'm not somebody who's just coming in and just like, Oh, this is hype. This is cool. Like, no, this is, this is me, you know? Um, and, and that's really important to me as well. And so, and so having those conversations, like whenever anybody would ask, um, if I had the opportunity to go on a sneaker podcast or a YouTube show or whatever, no matter the size of the audience, like I was there, I'm always happy to lean into the community and, and just be a part of it. Um, you know, going to even just going to sneaker cons and all that other kind of stuff and connecting with people, um, IRL, wherever I had the opportunity, I would definitely go. So I think we were still at the very early stages of that and just kind of like building, it was building out me, um, but also building out uh, the business as well. Um, so that definitely changed um, with, uh, even as we started thinking about the web three side of things. So, you know, we started polling our community and just asking them, um, you know, are you familiar with NFTs and um, web three and that kind of stuff? And for the most part, the answer was no. Um, again, we have a very mainstream audience. And so we said, okay, we're gonna have to educate here. We're coming from these two different worlds. And so we literally built an NFT 101 presentation. We just offered to anybody. So now when I'm going on these podcasts, I'm like, hey, by the way, if you wanna learn more about this, we've got this presentation, come and sign up basically. And we just, talk with people. Sometimes there were two or three people that would show up and we would just talk with people and just building community that way, just very one-to-one. -one. Um, you know, even, even to that point, we, we were very uh, wary of discord for a very long time. Like we started actually a telegram group first because the worst thing would really be if we built up this, this, this discord. And even if one bad actor came in and just stole all the ETH or Sol that, that somebody had, would just be a really bad look and would put a really bad taste in people's mouths. So we really just focused on Telegram initially, um, very one-to-one -one, kind of building out, sharing information, just education as much as possible. So that was definitely um, the building of the community was just one-to-one just -one as much as we possibly could. And then obviously when you, when you latch on and then you get um, one of these podcast hosts or, or um, a bigger influencer who kind of like identifies with what you do or invites you to share on their platform, you kind of pull in some of those people every time from, from some of those platforms basically. So um, I still think that that's the best way to build an, an authentic community. What were the, I, I guess, numbers? How were you measuring yourself? What were your KPIs at that point? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the vanity numbers that everybody looks at for sure. Um, you know, what were the numbers? Uh, what's, what was the Twitter following? What was the 
um, Telegram group, um, the Discord server. It's so funny. I think our Telegram group really only got to about 150, maybe 200 people. I think we did that in the first week of our Discord server being open without even like sharing it with anybody, basically. Um, got a link? <laughs> Discord is. Yeah, exactly. Um, or the gating it, just like, hey, open for a little while for those that want to come in and suddenly everybody wants in, right? Um, FOMO master. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so yeah, so I think the, the numbers, but also like the engagement, we definitely looked at. So we were looking at who are our most leaned in users. We still have a handful of people that have been with us literally since like day one. They tested out the early version of the app. They've been part of the Telegram group. They attended the the NFT 101 sessions. Um, and that that's still really cool to see these people that are just supporting you and supporting the business along the way. Nice, nice. So you were you were focused on on growing your audience, right? And the way you were measuring that is by how many people were engaging in the community and how you were growing your Twitter following. Was there any point in this journey where you hit hypergrowth, um, where you saw like a an exponential? Was it just opening the Discord, or was there a specific event uh, that might have led to that? There were a couple, I don't know if it's hyper growth, but big, but growth moments, like some of the bigger communities, um, especially within flow. I think honestly, that was the biggest part is where we leaned into flow specifically um, and not just, not just NFTs, um, not just web three, but really leaned into the flow community. Um, there's a couple of big ones. Flowverse is probably the biggest one over there. Um, so they hosted an AMA. It's really sort of like our coming out. Um, and that was for sure the, that, that really kicked off our, the opening of our discord server. Um, and then from there, you know, we've had really good support from the Dapper and the flow team as well. So every time they shared something out, um, you know, we had a community spotlight feature on their blog and, and some emails that they sent out and things like that tapping into a really massive audience. And so we, one thing that definitely people identified with was also, again, as part of that authenticity is leaving, having a trail for people to follow, right? Because I think that that's what we love to do in Web3. Well, at least what we should be doing, right? Do your own research. And so- um, D-Y-O-R, D-Y-O-R. We had a white paper that we worked really hard on and it's still on our website now. And and like I said, my business partner is a creative director. He does incredible work, absolutely. Um, it's it's good. It's very thorough. Um, we really thought through like our planning, and and again, this is uh, Web three and NFTs a year ago at this point. But um, yeah, we really thought it through, and so people, a lot of people that came in were just like, "Hey, I heard about you from X. Read your white paper. Loved it." Um, and we used um, at first. I, I opened it up at some point, but we were uh, we used DocSign um, uh, in order to or uh, DocSend rather um, in order to to track you know who was opening and where they're opening from, um, and that was really incredible just to see that that continuous growth um, there because I think that not everybody leans in and not everybody leans in on every platform. Sometimes Twitter just feels like you're, you're shouting into the void and hoping that somebody happens to have their window open at that moment, you know? Um, so getting them into the discord, once they're in the discord, you have a little bit more attention, but we all probably suffer from uh, being overwhelmed on our dis dif different discord servers and things like that and muting certain ones or muting certain channels and things like that as well. So um that, that, I think, was one of the biggest places where we could really see the impact that we were having and, and around the globe, too. I mean, just seeing various people from Brazil and Russia and Australia and, and various different things kind of tapping in was was really fascinating. Is there any like like was there like subcultures within the discord like Air Max loyalists or Jordan loyalists or like? Yeah. I don't 
Pardon, I mean, pardon if that's naive, but I'm just trying to understand how this audience naive. is segmented. Not naive at all. We, we had a couple, surprisingly, that were really into, you kind of have like your bigger brands and then you have the others, right? And so we had some that were into, um, you know, your Asics and your New Balances and even like Carhu and, and some of these other alternative brands. New Balance isn't really alternative at this point. Um, and then and then mostly Nike. Like even Adidas has kind of fallen off at this point. So mostly Nike. And that's just like people that are just like part of it. But honestly, a lot of it too was also the opposite side, right? Where we had, uh, where we started off with sneakers and educating about Web3. Now we had a lot of people that found us through these various Web3 platforms and Flow specifically, who were just curious about sneakers and they wanted to learn more about sneakers. Mm -hmm. So we found ourselves actually doing a lot more of that, of educating, hey, here's what's coming out. Um, here's what people are talking about. Um, we have a channel where you can share the kicks that you're wearing. Um, so it, it also made me sort of like try to try to switch it up a little bit, share some diversity in my collection and things like that as well. That's cool. So really the, the market picture is, uh, or at least in terms of, of what you were building was a lot of sneakerheads learning about web three, which turned into once you adopted web three with flow is a bunch of web three heads, <laughs> if you will, uh, degens, as we call ourselves learning about sneakers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even I think I think most of our biggest whales, trying to think right now, most of them probably identify more as DGENs than sneakerheads for sure. Um, some of them have even said, uh, you know, like even the gaming component of what we're trying to build out, they're like, I think this is really cool, but like my kids are gonna play it, you know, like that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So um yeah, I think the NFT community, especially on Flow, is very, very different. And I think it's very much still figuring itself out. And again, that goes back to the tourist versus purist thing again, right? Who's really sticking around? Who's a collector? What is it that they really believe in? Why are they here? I think we're all still very much trying to identify. And then those that were here for a quick flip, uh, you know, they're they're realizing that their money's not going anywhere. Um, so they're kind of getting out and moving on. And, and again, even this, right, I think... Um, I don't know if you've seen the new uh, Robin Hood uh, documentary that's on Netflix, but I think it's, it's, it's part of that, right? It's these people that were gambling literally day to day. Casinos shut down. They started gambling on Robin Hood. Then they started gambling with NFTs, right? It's just, it's just like these personalities, cult of personalities and where the money moves and things like that. But again, we believe in the technology of Web3 and, and where we can really build from here. This might be a good point to transition past Sneakerhead. Um, so what are you working on now and what was that transition like? Yeah, so we definitely haven't sunsetted Sneakerhood by any means. It's very much still like our baby, our project, our community um, that really teaches us, continues to teach us every day. It's kind of crazy. I was just talking to um, our mutual friend, Brian, actually, and I was telling him how um, we're actually kind of like a legacy project on Flow now, even though we only minted less than six months ago. Um so we, we, you know, post-Mint, uh, we were really rushing at that point for NFT NYC. It was about three weeks away. And we did a really massive giveaway uh, with Dapper Labs where we sent two people to New York for the convention, um, got them into all of our parties and events, um, and ultimately took the two winners on a $5,000 sneaker shopping spree each, uh, which was also amazing. Um, getting, you know, being able to just like, we, we actually, we did it at Stadium Goods, which is one of the bigger resale shops here. Um, they shut down the store for us. So we got to kind of just like walk through the store, um, just us. And I got to just like share with them, like, these are my favorite pairs. Here's what I would buy. Um, listen to what they were into and suggest certain things for them. That was a, an experience I'll definitely never forget. Um, also part of that experience I'll never forget. We had to pause um, filming for an hour because Adele came in and, and needed a shop for her kid. Um, <laughs> that was pretty cool. 
um, our, our, our winners again, they were, they were like so humbled and so excited. And, um, I think it was really especially cool for them, but, um, so yeah, so we were rushing to do that, you know, and just, that's a whole other conversation, but all we had was a wallet address to find these people, then to book flights and everything else. That's, that's a whole other conversation to be had, but we did it. We got it done. Um, our team meanwhile was, was prepping for our mobile application. That should have been what was the next steps for Sneakerhood uh, is taking that, that beta app that we had before, now applying um, uh, the, the Dapper wallet is the wallet that we use on Dapper um, uh, and, and syncing that to the mobile app basically so people could log in and, and see their assets in there. Um, unfortunately, the Dapper wallet just really wasn't ready for mobile. We're seeing it a little bit now with like Instagram and Facebook, but the team kind of just kept saying, it's still a few months coming. It's still a few months coming. It's still a few months coming. So uh, meanwhile, we ended up kind of kind of pausing and we built a rarity tool for our community because that was something that they were also asking for. And so, um, you know, we had talked to Rarity Sniper and Rarity Tools and um, just didn't really see the value. They were charging two ETH. I think they still charge two ETH, which at its height is seven to eight grand, um, and which is absurd. And it's it's an algorithm that they plug you into. There's There's no flexibility there. And, um, you know, there's no real marketing that they offer either. They can sort of throw you to their Discord server of three or 400,000 people, but it's mostly ETH-based. And so they're really looking for, again, a quick flip. Um, and uh, one, there's one project that actually did do that. And, and their secondary tanked. And I, I think it's partly because of Rarity Sniper because the community just wasn't right. It wasn't long-term value like most of the Flow community, basically. So, um so we built our own tool and and that day that we launched it was this the uh, definitely our highest secondary sales that we had seen uh community really flipped out things being delisted and relisted at higher values and um uh, those that weren't kind of got snatched up for for quick steals um our highest secondary sale today came three weeks after mint remember the market's already tumbling down and, and we did 6x our mint price um on an asset and so that was really cool to see and again all because of the rarity tool. So we sort of had this epiphany that, all right, if this is having this much impact on, on our small growing community, imagine what this could do for, for other communities as well. So we uh, we started working on that and 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 well, we tested, we talked to a lot of people and, and said like, would you be interested? And we got, got a pretty resounding, yeah, absolutely. Let's see what you can do. And um, and we went for it. And, and one of the first things we also realized is that um, there's there's a, there's a lot of divisions within within Flow as well, and so one of those is on the wallet side. A lot of the older projects have used uh, Blockdo as their wallets, company based out of Singapore. Um, but like for me here in New York, because we have so many regulations, Blockdo literally never works for me, and so those projects are sort of out of reach for me. Um, that's one of the reasons why we also went with Dapper Wallet. Um, so Dapper is what a lot of the newer projects are using, but now we also have Lilico, which is a new wallet, and a couple others that are still coming up as well. So we did a, a wallet connect inside of our rarity tool that we call flow score and so now you can actually see for the products that we have on the platform all of your assets all in one place doesn't matter if they're on blockdo or dapper or lilico wherever um as long as they're on the platform you can see them all in one place and that actually doesn't even exist in in eth or sol or most other places as well if you have one wallet it's it's in that wallet basically so really basic functionality which i think is where a lot of web3 is at right now um and just sort of opening those doors and and um Sort of like somebody gave me this really great uh, comparison uh, a while back of it's sort of like um, a vending machine, right? And so you as a consumer, you don't care how the vending machine actually works. You just want your candy, your chips, your soda, whatever, you know, and that's sort of where we are in Web3 right now, I think. Web 2.5 onboarding stage. So that's that's uh, that is a definition that a previous guest has given. It's a great yeah. one. 
right? Yeah, we're all using the same. Yeah. same yeah, that's what it's. It's a good example of like explaining a smart contract too, right? Like you that. put your money in, you push the buttons, you receive. There's no, there's no vendor there handing it to you. It's there, and you yep. push the buttons. You, you know, you perform your side of the contract. You pay for the NFT, if you will, and you receive yep. it, uh, and that's programmed in, right? Like yep. that's represents a lot of the, the value there. The so it's interesting you. <clears throat> You you kind of took like the Amazon path. Uh, I've uh, the I'm going to build the best possible tool that my co- my community wants internally, and then I'm going to now it makes sense kind of to start marketing this like make it a proprietary and start marketing it to other companies. That's how AWS was started and many of their other business Lock lines. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 super interesting to to hear you do that. What other stuff were you doing or are you doing currently to help? grow that tool is it just about getting more availability so that every like uh collection on flow uh can have that opportunity to to leverage the app or, or what yeah it's it's crazy right we're doing all this stuff right now which i think immediately provides value to some of these companies that we're working with so I'll give you a couple of examples one i mentioned that like the other rarity tools um it's an algorithm that they plug you into so we're actually going about more of a bespoke model where we are really like leaning in with uh with companies and helping them figure out their data on-chain and off-chain, some things maybe that they didn't get to, to build into their contract for whatever reason, um, and, and applying that to the rarity score as well. So for example, we have an F1-based uh, project uh, called Drivers, and they have a numeric-based system because they want to build out a, a driving game at some point, a racing simulation. So they've got a, a turning score and things like that, basically. So we built that into the into the rarity tool. They also... Mm have uh, helmets and and suits that you're wearing, but they didn't have on chain the matching of the helmets and suits. We built that into the rarity tool. Um, you know, if we have the info and, and we're also thinking outside the box. So we're, um, there's a couple, pro- there's one project that we're onboarding right now. Try not to give away too much, but so there, there's a couple that we're looking at. Right give now. us all the alpha. <laughs> no, there's, I'm just kidding, man. There's, there's one that we, that we're onboarding right now. So this as vaguely as I can. And let's just say it has some models that are involved. And these models were um, featured in the magazine in different ways. Maybe they might have been in the center or maybe they were just featured by the month. That's that's some super big hints right there. Um, and so um, none of that data is really like like on chain. So we're, we're, we're building that in. Um, we can also look at, you know, where their, their feature video was shot um when that was rolled out and that kind of thing and build that data in basically so companies have to have to supply us with the information but then we can build that into um into their traits into their rarity and things like that as well so um so one we're sort of unlocking data um a lot of these companies are also using uh if not a marketplace then then some of these providers that are that are building out frameworks for people to build out their own marketplaces as well but a lot of times their data or even their their images, the hosting of them gets locked up in, in servers that don't belong to them. So we're also sort of like freeing this data and this information for them and, and now using it in, in much more interesting ways. And then, you know, we're building out. So we're, we're about to onboard our first uh, pack-based system, so cards, right? And so with a lot of the card-based ones, there's hundreds of thousands, millions of NFTs that they're releasing. But a lot the, of times- and, and packs, you're talking about packs of like yeah. top shots? Like like a top shot, not top shot specifically. I'm not giving away that alpha. We, we'll have yeah. them eventually for sure. But um, it's it's something like that. And so they're releasing impacts into their cards. So there's a lot of common assets, right? And they're all the mm. same. So what matters maybe is the addition. Like if you've got number one, that should definitely be worth way more than addition 1,001 or 100,001, right? 
So we're, we're building in that data, but you don't want to then have to scroll through pages and pages and pages of the exact same asset over and over. Um, so we are um, adding in uh, a stacking system for those assets as well. So um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but in the next couple of weeks, we're going to literally have that live. And I'm, I think that's really cool. And the company's really excited because it's a whole new way for their community to really engage with their assets and things like that. So there's a lot that we can, we're, as we're building up the product, um, we're learning about what these different types of projects need. Right now, we're sort of identifying like three archetypes. There's sort of the traditional art-based rarity traits. Um, there's the numeric uh, score-based ones that I mentioned, skill set-based, and then we have these, these pack-based ones as well. And so just learning what they're all sort of like looking for, and then we'll figure out how we can really scale that out from there. So in the meantime, um, so that's sort of like building out the product side. We're actually soft launched by the time that this is out we can definitely talk about it a global leaderboard as well so that's the biggest thing for us right now that we have that wallet connect in there we can see not just who are our whales but who are the whales across the entire ecosystem right and that's really who you want to know like who's really buying these assets right and it's fascinating already from from half a day's worth of just kind of digging in and looking through it's like whoa i didn't even know this person existed but they've gone really deep on one project right or we have people that are just buying across all the different projects and so maybe one they're like number one two or three in and then there may be 20 or 30 over here but like it's the one and two ranking that's kind of propping them it's just it's real i just love data it's really fascinating to kind of dive into and we're just learning so much about the community and about the individual projects and, and then sharing that back out with the projects as well so they can learn about their community so um that's been really fascinating Ultimately, where we're going with this is now that we have all that data on the consumer is launching a token-based reward system for them. So, you know, if this were any other ecosystem, Delta Sky Miles, American Express Point, something like that, you know, you'd be earning if you were if you were paying thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, as people sometimes are, you'd be getting rewards for that, right? So, either with points or some sort of additional value. So, that's exactly what we're building is a token-based reward system where we're going to look at how many assets you own, the length of time that you've owned them, uh, the diversity across your portfolio, uh, but also bring in social data as well from Twitter and Discord so we can see not just who's buying up all the assets, but also like who's who's really hyping up all of our projects as well. So, um, you know, going back to like, you know, uh, the last question you sort of asked is like, that's also how we look at the uh, the dichotomy between Sneakerhood and Flowscore is that one really informs the other, right? We were able to build Flowscore because we built Sneakerhood, like that's really what allowed us to recognize uh, and identify this opportunity that's over here. And we'll kind of just kind of keep that circle going. So we have a plan to launch a token at some point through Sneakerhood as well. We'll learn about it on this side as we do that for Flowscore. And then we'll kind of bring that knowledge back around and continue to mm -hmm. iterate and on the product from there. I love it. It's like it's reversed, right? It was an R&D project within Sneakerhood to, to start uh, Flowscore, but now you are, um, now you're reversing it, right? It's grown. What would, uh, if, you, if you're comfortable sharing, is there is like percentage growth numbers that you've seen over the course of this uh, in terms of like month over month or, I mean, I know we don't have year over year yet, but <laughs> eventually you will. <laughs> We've only been live for, for a little over two months now at this point, okay. we barely have month over month. So really it's, um, we, we look at the projects, right? So depending on the number of their holders um, uh, within their project. We're usually seeing about 10% initially kind of immediately jumping on board. And then there's some, kind of some growth and some ramping from there. So we're looking at, that's where we're looking at build, bringing in some some um, uh, some more social elements as well. So we can start to get more of that like daily and even weekly you know, usage throughout. 
um, whether that's through um, obviously like commenting and liking on people's like uh, assets and things like that, uh, which again can also be a reward point because that's a data point as well, um, but also um, challenges, right? So so one thing that's been really successful for us in, in onboarding communities is, is really digging into a project and seeing, okay, so, so like the drivers one, for example, they have... Um, all these different teams that, that, that is how their assets are divided up. So, you know, Hey team, uh, uh, LA, uh, LA retro, like you have the most signed up people and here's who's following behind you. And so kind of challenging them to onboard their own communities, basically. Um, same thing with like bobbles, you know, like we were just looking at, I think nine of the top 10 assets have been claimed. Like we know who they belong to number 10, um, which is like a bobbles that they're like, sort of like bobbleheads. Basically the artwork is really cool. They're in GIF format, really, really next level project. Um, number 10 asset, which is like a Tom Brady bobblehead basically, um, is, uh, no one's claimed it yet. So like, Hey, this is a top 10 asset. Whoever owns this needs to get on flow score and like claim that you own that. So, and I think now that again, we haven't, we haven't just started pushing out uh, the global leaderboard just yet. We're working through a couple of uh, minor bug fixes today. Um, once we do that and the community can already, like we've already seen, we're driving sales as well for, for a lot of these products where people are like, wait a second, I've got 62 assets and I'm number two and number one has 63. I'm just going to go buy two more assets. So I'm number one within this community. Now when the global leaderboard opens up, it's going to be really fascinating. Do they go, do they buy across more products and whatever has the lowest flow, uh, floor price or yeah. do they go deep on the community that they believe in to try and up their ranking specifically there? But either way, as that floor gets swept, floor prices go up, right? So that that's exactly the value that we're immediately already providing with the four products that we have. And we've got, like I said, a queue that's forming now. of got three more that are up next and a whole bunch more that we're talking to. So um, it's really exciting. Well, you're creating a flywheel of value for for your users who would be these projects, I feel like, and your your customers who would be the actual collectors, right? Is that kind of how you think about it? Yeah, definitely. So even now, um, you know, the projects are, are paying to get onboarded, uh, but I, I want to break down that barrier for them. I, I want to allow, um, you know, we have a lot of, especially right now, we have a lot of projects that are um, doing free mints, right? And they're seeing much more success in the secondary because of that. Um, I, I want to be able to, to bring those those in as well. I, I think that all these communities are, are really interesting. So therefore, it comes back to the collector, and that's where the token comes in, right? It's all about the earn side is really easy, like we've explained a lot about, about that. The burn side is where it gets really exciting as well, where we're creating that, like you just said, additional value back to um, back to the collector as well, whether it's buying additional assets. So we're looking at linking up to all the different marketplaces that are out there, um, talking to customer or talking to projects um, and businesses that do merch. So having like even like physical items. So whether that's you want to lean in with your favorite project or whatever it is, um, and then we can continue to grow that out bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So um, yeah, it's really exciting to be building that and end up, like you said, bring that value back to the consumer as well. Nice. Well, uh, we're nearing the top of the hour. This has been awesome uh as expected uh and i, I have kind of tr two traditional closing questions that i ask uh, every guest um so the first one is how do you describe web3 yeah i know you asked me this before um and uh and and you told me i couldn't do the read write own thing <laughs> um, we don't prep our answers what are you talking about <laughs> heads up because it is something that you you should think about and it is how how I describe it, and I think just in its in its simplest form to me, if I'm if I'm really just describing to somebody who has no idea, is it like, look, Web three is a technology. That's really all you need to know. It's a technology that's in the back end, and you as a consumer, 
it, it's all you need to know is it's going to be better, faster, stronger. That's really all you need to know. Um, that, that's going to provide more connectivity and more ownership um, for everything you do online, more visibility, um, you know, that kind of thing. So just in its simplest form, just really breaking it down for people without being too overly complex. Yeah, it's an evolution of technology. It makes sense. So uh, the final closing question is about predicting the future uh, and or trying to manifest your future, of course. Um, so where do you see yourself and this industry as a whole, this Web3 industry in six to 12 months? And where do you see yourself in the industry uh, in five to 10 years? Yeah, so um, man, six to 12 months is like a lifetime in Web3, right? Um uh, hopefully, hopefully, at least in six months, hopefully the mainstream has come back. I'd really love to see more of that adoption, um, less less skepticism. Um, you know, I I know we all love to see these massive spikes in in, in Ethereum pricing and Solana pricing and Bitcoin and everything else, but I'd love to see some stability. You know, um, for that to actually happen, and and I think that's what's going to be. Again, the, the most important to me right now is a mainstream audience, like really getting that mainstream adoption, you know, the, the next billion users to really come on to Web3, again, who shouldn't have to think about it or know even that it's Web3 or what token they're using or, or whatever else, basically. So that's that's the world that I'm aiming for, where everything just sort of like seamlessly works. You know, I'm really interested in the idea of like, I just saw, I think in California, maybe um, they, they've passed it so that you're going to be allowed to have your... Um, uh, your medical records um, uh, stored in a wallet. I, th I think they just passed that law or they're about to pass it or something like that. And so, uh, yeah, I'd love to see more of that where your, you know, your resume, your CV, all that stuff, like that's how you're connecting to to the world is through a wallet of some sense. And, you know, that's also your, um, you can have multiple personalities, right? Like maybe you like to go rave at night. And so you've got that, ver that version of yourself in a wallet. And then you've got your your day-to-day, -day, you know, how you're paying the bills, you know, sort of version in a different wallet. Um, that's the world I'd like to see. Now, how fast we get there? Yeah, I don't know. The market keeps flipping upside down every other day. So we'll see. Um, right. For myself, um, you know, I, I, I love what I'm doing now. It's been a fascinating journey. I continue to learn. Um, but I'm also old, like I'm getting older. Uh, I've got a 10 year old, uh, no 11. Geez, she just turned 11. Um, the next step for me, like I said, kind of going back to the beginning of this conversation is, um, I love connecting with people. Uh, and, and really uh, the next step for me is empowering people as well. So that is, um, whether it's through an accelerator, a fund of some of some sort, um, I've had a very haphazard journey, and like I said, I, I wish that I'd had mentorship, uh, more mentorship, uh, specifically from people that look like me. Um, I think that that's really important, I, and it's not just because it's it's providing money, like that's definitely important, right? But it's also understanding uh, whatever the the differences that we all face in our day to day. Um, you know, the, the, the microaggressions and, and how that can throw off your day. And um, again, the, the, the baggage that we all bring um, day to day is very different. And I think a lot of that is affected by where you come from and, and what you've seen growing up. And I don't think that there's, I know for sure, there's not enough people that have lived a life even anywhere near mine in, um, in Silicon Valley, in technology, in VC. Um, and, and I want to be representative of that. And I want to give people that space. So finding that balance, I think, of um, money, but also support is, is a big thing for me. Just, just really cheering on those that I believe in and, and 
putting my money where my mouth is. I want to see if I can do that as well. So that that's where I'll be in for sure. Five, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever time frame it was that you gave me. That's, that's my next step for sure. That's awesome, man. What, what a great way to close. It's good to see, uh, you know, you, when you get connected by someone uh, like Brian, uh, you start to see a little bit of that person and the people you meet. And there's a reason that we're getting connected. It's not just about, you know, talking about your ventures on a podcast. It's about connecting people that have similar goals. Um, and I think both you and I share that passion to give back uh, in some way. And so that's that's awesome, man. It's been a pleasure having you on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a blast as always. I look forward to our next conversations. And like I said, six months, 12 months, who knows where we'll all be from here. We have no idea. That's like five years in Web3 life. So, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Brandon. Cool. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to Web3 with me. If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore French underscore.